Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. ...chapter of the Old Testament, you came to the conclusion of that, and you turned the page to Matthew chapter 1. In that page turn, 400 years pass. Uh, sometimes we, we forget that. We just sing about waiting upon God. Well, the people of God had waited and wondered and worried when the Messiah would come. Malachi makes his final prophecy. Then there's 400 years of silence. Then there's this, this stirring at the beginning of the book known as the Gospel According to Matthew, where an angel appears, a message is given. The Messiah is born. And it seems that the silence has been broken, but then between chapter 2, where they return to Nazareth with the young child, and chapter 3, where we pick up today, between 25 and 30 years have transpired. Have you ever been there where you think your waiting is over and then you wait a little longer? We say things like God's timing is always best, but sometimes it's hard to wait, isn't it? So here's John the Baptist, born miraculously to elderly parents with a promise that he would be the prophet of the Messiah. He begins to grow up. We know very little about his early life. We know his parents were elderly and perhaps deceased by the time we get to Matthew chapter 3. But here he is, 30 years after his birth, finally appearing on the scene as the prophet to do what God has called him to do. He didn't have the gospel accounts. He had the Old Testament. He was waiting and preparing himself for that moment when he was to break the prophetic silence, he would be the final prophet under that old covenant to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. And so between chapter 2 and chapter 3, it's like 25 to 30 years of time that passes. But I want to encourage you today that in those white spaces there in scripture like that, God is always at work there. God is always at work in those seasons that seem so empty and so still in our lives, but God is working. And no matter how elaborate and lengthy the waiting is, God is always working. 
So just a moment ago when we prayed, if, if your heart resonated with the prayer of waiting and those circumstances, just trust that even when you can't see it, God is at work. He's always preparing, perfecting his plans and his purposes. So let's look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Let's talk about when God breaks the silence. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that in your wisdom beyond our understanding, you have chosen to work through the preaching of your word. Uh, Father, it's beyond our comprehension how you accomplish what you do through messengers like me. Father, we thank you that you transcend all of our weaknesses, all of our failures, all of our struggles, and are able to work through us beyond our capacity. And Father, that's what I'm praying for this morning, that somehow you would take my feeble efforts and use them for your glory, and that you would please speak through me. Because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I would be foolish to ask this morning, has God always worked exactly like you wanted him to in the timing that you wanted it to happen in the place where you had chosen for him to work through the people that you had selected. That would be a question of insanity, wouldn't it? Well, let's think about those simple words that we read, but so full of meaning. First of all, I want us to remember today that God works in unexpected ways to accomplish his extraordinary will. Think about that first phrase there. In those days. It's not specific as to the significance of those words, but in those days, and it begins to tell us what's happening now. It's not that God has begun to do something, it's, it's that we have become aware of what God has been doing all along. Uh, it was the surfacing of his activity uh, from the connection of the Old Testament into what we know as the new. It was something destined to happen by his desire. And so in those days, reminds us that God presents his truth at precise times. God works in unexpected ways to accomplish his extraordinary will, and he does that by presenting his truth at precise times. Have you found that in your life? Those words of scripture that you have read repeatedly 
come alive in your heart and the, the meaning intended by the text really grips your heart. And, and you wonder, how could I have not seen that before? Well, God works with precision through his word and through his truth. So I want us to back up in time and think about the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. We find it in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, the people of God were going through life in a rather monotonous way, oppressed by a culture that they were strangers to and held captive by. They were having a certain degree of freedom in their worship, but always under the threat of the Roman government. And on a particular day, it came time for the offering of the incense, it tells us in Luke chapter 1. By a priest named Zacharias. Zacharias was an elderly priest who lived in a village outside the city of Jerusalem. When there was high traffic in Jerusalem and the priests were overextended, they would involve the village priest to come in and assist on that day. So on this day, Zacharias is brought in and he's doing something that he'll only do once in his lifetime. The lot has fell to him and he has fallen to him and he will offer incense on the altar of incense. This would be in the, the holy place, but not the holy of holies, just outside that curtain he would come to offer that incense. He's in a place he's never been, doing something he's never done before. He is as close to the expression of God's holiness as he will ever be in a physical sense, just outside of the curtain of the Holy of Holies. And Zechariah, as he offers the incense, that an angel appears. And there's kind of an understatement there. He was greatly afraid. Can you imagine being in a place where you think you're by yourself and you're next to the, the glory and the holiness of God's expression in the holy of holies, limited to one day a year by one man each year, and now an angel suddenly appears and begins to talk to you? The first words of the angel we find are in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, your prayer is heard. Now all the people were outside that area in the courts of the temple, the various courts. And it was the hour of incense, so they are praying outside, it tells us in verse 10. So not only is Zacharias praying and his wife Elizabeth have been in prayer, but the entire sequence of worshipers outside are, are seeking God. And there's always a prayer on their lips when they would gather. And that was crying out for the coming of the Messiah. Some did so with doubt, some did so with expectancy, 
But regardless of that, in that time of silence, due to the promises of the Old Testament, there was this desire in their hearts for the coming of the Messiah. And so the angel tells him in verse 13, your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so that's the promise. This supernatural birth to a barren woman named Elizabeth, who is now beyond childbearing age, her husband, who is also an elderly man, faced the challenge that life is going to be different for them because they are going to have a baby. Then if you look down at verses 65 and 66, Zacharias is unable to speak. That's the sign that this is of God. The angel gives him. There's much more we could say. But when the baby is born immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue was freed and he spoke praising God. Then fear, it says, came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Then look down at the end of Luke chapter 1 verse 76. His father is prophesying over him, John, the baby, and he says, and you child will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then it says, so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Now just think about how strange that was. Not only had some given up praying for a Messiah, But Zacharias and Elizabeth definitely had given up praying for a son. It was a prayer that had not crossed their lips, perhaps in years and years. But in God's timing, in an unexpected way, he he works in their lives and he gives them the, the son of their desire 
in the final season of their life. God really does work in unexpected ways to accomplish his extraordinary will. Well, then secondly, God qualifies those who are questionable to others. God qualifies those who are questionable to others. Back to Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist. Now, why would he be questionable? And why would God have to qualify him to do what he's called him to do? Well, let's back up a little bit. We just read where he's the son of a village priest. He would fall in line to be a priest who serves the people of God, who would would serve them and minister to them and care for them along the same lines that his father had performed that task. That was what everyone was expecting him to do. Now, I remember numerous times when our boys were young, someone would lean over or kneel down and say these words, are you going to be a preacher like your daddy? Well, at that point, they just wanted to go to big church and go to school. They, they weren't thinking about being a preacher. But many times there's that assumption. Well, this assumption would have been even stronger that that he would become a priest. He would fill the sandals of his father, so to speak, in that role, and he would do what his father had always done. He would follow his example, but that's not how it's going to happen. The reason he's questionable is he doesn't become a priest. He lives and dwells out in the deserts, And he becomes a prophet addressing the system from outside. He doesn't have the qualifications or the the background that they think he needs to do that task. Who are you to tell us to repent? Who are you to claim to be whom you claim to be? Remember, Almost a generation has passed since the angel appeared. Many who were eyewitnesses to what happened surrounding his birth are off the scene. It's a secondhand story for many and they're questioning and wondering who in the world is John the baptizer. That's what his name would have been literally. So he's not in a line of authority in man's view of his authority. He's baptizing with a declared authority given to him by God. Baptism was not new to John. There were ceremonial cleansings done and proselytes that came into the Jewish faith as a Gentile were baptized. But here's a man outside of the system calling people to be baptized and to be immersed into the kingdom of God, so to speak, at his hand, given authority by God. 
Not only was he claiming to be a prophet, but word was he was the prophet. The prophet that would announce the Messiah when he came. And so on the heels of that 25 to 30 years of silence, he comes on the scene preaching, repent, turn from your ways and turn to God because his kingdom is at hand. Later, you can look at John chapter 1. He is interrogated by messengers sent to him by religious leaders. And, and twice they ask him, who are you? Who are you? Are you the Messiah? I am not. Are you Elijah? I am not. Then he identifies himself with scripture. I am a voice sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. You see, they were alarmed by his authority because he didn't get it in the usual way. But haven't you found that God qualifies those that would be questionable to others? I even ask myself the question at times, who am I? to stand and preach God's word, knowing the, the struggles and the challenges I face in my own life, who am I? I've had other people chime in with that and ask me, who are you to tell us what the Bible says and to, to preach like you do? Who are you? And I want to tell them I've wondered that myself. Who am I? I am nothing but a voice in place for God to speak through. And so here on a bigger, grander scale, the voice has a resounding authority to it and multitudes are coming out into the wilderness to hear what John the Baptist has to say. Have you noticed that God doesn't consult with us about whom he will call? He just doesn't do that. They are people of his choosing. That he calls into places of service or ministry or authority to, to lead and to be the person in that moment through whom he can work. God never seeks consultation in the midst of calling someone to serve him. And so it says John the Baptist came preaching. He wasn't just saying what had already been said. He wasn't quoting those whom others would quote. He wasn't stroking those who were in the system. He was preaching. There's a big difference in a man who has words to say and a man who has a word burning in his heart. And that word was burned deeply into his heart and he couldn't but do anything but preach it. And so John the Baptist came preaching. That was the heart of who he was. 
And it's a reminder that God qualifies those that others would find to be questionable. I love the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in light of this. It says there, for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It goes on to say, God was pleased to save those who believe by the foolishness of preaching. Then later it says, but God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. And God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing to set aside what is regarded as something so that no one can boast in his presence. The reason God sometimes chooses those who would be questionable to us is so that he can get all the glory for it. No one in the system would have addressed the things John would address. No one would have dared to give a fresh Word, even if God commanded them to in that system, but John, outside the system, proclaims the challenge to repent to the ungodly and those who were, quote, godly in the eyes of others. So that should encourage us today. God works in unexpected ways to accomplish his extraordinary will. God qualifies those who are questionable to others. And then finally, God uses unlikely messengers in unusual places to display his undeniable power. In those days, it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. You see, other prophets have been more strategically placed. For instance, remember the temple sermon that Jeremiah preaches? I believe it's in Jeremiah 7 where he addresses the people at the very temple where they're coming to worship, where the, the crowds would be. There are other places where prophets had delivered their message, sometimes before kings, before leaders. But it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. That was not the population center of the universe. He was preaching in the middle of nowhere, so to speak. I remember in driving across New Mexico with young boys in the car and one of them asking from the back seat on some of those long stretches of road where you don't meet another car for 30 to 40 minutes. Dad, are we in the middle of nowhere? And I would tell him, no, but you can see it from here. That's where he was preaching. Perhaps you've heard the business mantra the three most important things to a successful business are what? Location, location, location. 
That's what people have said. But look at this. God's not limited by location, is he? He did some of his greatest works in some of the most unusual places. So here's John out in the wilderness preaching. And and then we hear in the next verse, the verses down, that, that the people came to hear him. Well, particularly in Mark chapter 1, not necessarily here, Mark chapter 1, it says, and all the people came to hear him. There were no posters, there were no billboards, there were no emails, no texts or tweets, no Instagram posts. He just has a a fire burning on his heart and he begins to proclaim the truth that God has put there. And it says that as he preached out in the wilderness, people began to come to hear what he had to say. I believe there's a principle here that is so crucial in our lives and that is if you do what God has called you to do, where he has placed you to do it, he will see that people come to hear what you have to say. He will guide your steps and their steps if you are purposely set on sharing the gospel. He will give you opportunity to say what he's put in your heart. But the secret is, if we will walk with him, he will bring others into our lives that we might say the thing that God has called us to say. That's what's happening here with John. God's not limited by location. He's always specialized in using unlikely messengers in unusual places to display his undeniable power. He was out in the desert of Judea, which was barren and rugged and dry, out west of the Dead Sea. You know you're in a good location when you're in the same neighborhood as the Dead Sea. Life around there was dead. But that's where he brings his message. But if you're familiar with scripture, you know that God works wonders in the wilderness, don't you? You watch the Exodus, the people traveling through the wilderness and and you see how God provided for them. The equivalent of several trainloads of food every day traveling into the wilderness to provide for them. God did that supernaturally. When you think about Elijah there in the wilderness, God provided for him. And over and over in scripture, God has worked wonders in the wilderness. Those are the places sometimes where he's gotten the most glory for what he's done. It was out on the the backside of the desert that the burning bush came into view for Moses. And it was a holy place where he was to kick off his sandals because he was in the very presence of God. And so I want to encourage you today, if you feel like you are living in a wilderness, you may be a candidate for an amazing, incredible breakthrough in your life that only God can do. But I want to remind you, any breakthrough that comes into your life as a believer centers on the person of Jesus Christ not on you. This crowd was being drawn not to John, 
but so that John could hand that crowd off to Jesus. He was not to be the center of attention. He was not to be the one that was put up on a pedestal. He was the one to be a voice that would introduce them to the Messiah. Many times we forget we are not the center of God's activity. His son, Jesus Christ, is. Any message he gives us should center on Jesus. It is when Jesus is exalted that he draws people to him. Here, John the Baptist representing indirectly and directly the Messiah that God had sent in the form of his son is proclaiming a message. God is bringing them to hear it because he knows that when he draws them to John, he will point them to Jesus. Have you ever wondered why God may not be using you at times? The whole reason he would draw anyone to us is so that we could point them to Jesus. But many times we begin to explain how we did things or what we would do in their circumstances. None of that is important. What is most important is the person of Jesus Christ breaking into their life. If they're lost, that they might be saved. If they're saved, that they might be encouraged and strengthened in their faith in Christ. He's the one to whom we are to point everyone in our life without exception. And John lived in that reality. So you might think your life is rather mundane. So-and-so came living in a small community. None of that limits God. Are you set with all that you have to exalt the person of Christ? We have nothing to offer but him. And as we offer him, and as we exalt him, he changes lives. So if God could use John in such a miraculous and marvelous way, as a very unique figure in history, I understand all of that. He was completely different from us, but, but he was exactly like us, wasn't he? Though completely different. Just a common man with a divine hand upon him, using him to glorify Jesus himself. So I ask you, why not you? Why, why, why not you? Why, why would God not use you? Well, I, I really can't speak very well. Great, that's the person he's looking for. Well, I, I, uh, I don't know a lot. Well, that's okay. God knows everything. You can point people to Jesus, can't you? Why not now? Well, I got a lot to do, and once I get this done, no, 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 you don't have a lot to do. The one thing you've been called to do is to lift up Jesus, regardless of all the other things in your life. Your number one priority is to be an ambassador of Christ if you belong to him and to point people to him. Why not you? Why not now? Why not here? 
Why would God not do something here that would be so amazing and so extraordinary that people would have to say, God did that. Why not you? Why not here? Why not now? I want to close asking you to think again about John's parents. Which prayer do you think they believed would be easier for God to answer? That the Messiah would come or that they would have a baby? Probably the Messiah. So if I asked you today, do, do you believe God could awaken our nation? I hope you would say yes. Do you believe that God is going to awaken this nation through his people? Yes. Then why not us? Why not now? And why not here? It's as simple as the text. In those days, John the baptizer came preaching in the wilderness. God magnifies his word in the wilderness. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.